Sorry for the overtime. We, of course, are studying now five authors that have been impacted upon by Jews and Judaism. Mentioned in the first class, these five authors, Mark Twain, the source by Michener. Uh, just, that's 90s, that's 90s. Uh, 80s, Paul Johnson, and 70s, Ernest van der Haag. Are the Jews really smarter? We've begun our study of Mark Twain, who wrote in 1898 this extraordinary letter concerning the Jews. And we had a pretty rousing debate last week as to what his intent was really all about. Of course, as you know, the prehistory of his letter is that he wrote an article a few months earlier about a parliamentary meeting in Vienna and there the Jews were attacked and he couldn't figure out why were the Jews attacked they had nothing to do with the whole entire situation the whole entire issue why are the Jews attacked so he wrote this article and then it was a very great Jewish response and one lawyer writes a letter raising six points for Mark Twain to respond to six points to answer of course, as we will get to, the Encyclopedia article, Encyclopedia of Mark Twain, says that it really was probably fictitious. It wasn't really a, a lawyer. These are just questions that Mark Twain wanted to address. And we want to evaluate the Twainian approach to Jews, whether or not they are, whether or not he was really a fellow Semite, lover of Jews, or was he an anti-Semite, a hater of Jews in disguise. We're going to analyze that particular issue. Now, of course, we read the first point, and that was a very wonderful point, and everybody agrees how wonderful the Jews are. That first page is a classic page celebrating, praising Jews, and we raise the question, is it true? And we all pretty much agree that the first point really is true. Then we began the second point. And really had two criticisms of the Jews. One is that they are known to be petty about money. They do some kind of cheating in business. And number two is they don't serve their country. So we also raise the question, is it true that you're going to find Jews who are petty in business, who do in fact cheat here and there a little bit? So we said, yes, you're going to find those kinds of Jews. Although it's not a defining Jewish characteristic, but certainly there are Jews who do in fact act that way. And do, do Jews serve their country? Now, my experience, of course, of the Vietnam War is that Jews do not serve their country. We escaped wherever we went, whether we were two, I was 2S, so we're, we're fine. Many of them were 4Ds, who don't deserve to be called a 4D. But I was 2S, and therefore didn't have to worry about it. My number was 27, by the way, so I did have a problem with that. How do What? Conscientious objective to us? No, students. Oh. You go to school. Just a student. Students didn't draft in those days. That was 2S. Medical students or any students? Any students. 2S was any student. Right. What's 27? That was my birthday. I would have been taken 27th in the lottery. They do a lottery. 27 means you go in. Soon. So I was 2S. So Jews did not serve. On the other hand, of course, people pointed out over here, those who have older memories than mine, that Jews did serve in World War II. Yes, they did. And a subsequent reading that I had read over here that... It was pointed out that Jews have served in the Revolutionary War. Jews were actively involved. And in fact, more, sorry? They were involved. They financed it definitely. That's the point he's making over here. Correct. But they did, they did in fact do it. And when Mark Twain, in an aftermath commentary of one of the Twainian scholars, 
he does say over here that <coughs> he later retracted that assertion that Jews do not stand by the flag of soldiers and when it was pointed out to him when his uh, errors were pointed out to him he did try to make amends he studied official figures of Jewish participation in American wars and 1904 published his results in a widely publicized postscript to his article under the title The American Jew as Soldier the slur quote unquote he writes quote that the Jew is willing to feed on a country but not fight for it is false and ought to be pensioned off now and retired from active service because it's not true so he did the study and changed his mind about that particular issue as he wrote in 1904. Let's go back to point number two that we were speaking about. Point number two were the reasons for the hatred of the Jew. That's a wonderful issue to raise. Because it's so true. For 2,000 years and more, we were hated as a people. Now, Mark Twain's point, of course, would be that it's not because of Christian anti-Semitism, because... Jewish hatred of the Jews or anti-Semitism in a more modern configuration of that really predates Christianity and we all know that there are multiples of Greek and Roman writers who wrote pejoratively about the Jews all of you read probably in high school certainly in college Contra Apion Apion was a Greek writer who wrote nastily about the Jews Contra Apion is a work written by Josephus defending the Jews we're not as bad as what the sky Apion is saying about us so predating Christianity yes the Jews were hated by pagan society and we can raise the question why Mark Twain's answer to this issue is that the Christian cannot compete with the Jew and therefore the Christian hates the Jew now Mark Twain is referring to a kind of what you might call economic anti-Semitism which certainly has a certain truth to it there is a certain validity to that statement that when the Jews appear to be or in fact are so economically powerful the Christian is going to be hateful of the Jews certainly in the Middle Ages that was very true the Christian couldn't make it, he borrows money from the Jew, the Jew charges a huge amount of interest. Why do that? Because the only that profession that was left open to him, he couldn't farm, couldn't own land, he couldn't be in the guilds, in the craft guilds, he couldn't go to university, so what could he do? He loaned money, which was a policy, as we mentioned, of the church, to keep the Jew as an outsider. So what happens periodically when the debt bills too high a degree, what happens? Well, no, the Jew then is either has his house burnt to burn the, the uh, deeds, whatever it may be or he's exiled he's thrown out of the country how many times the Jews come out of England out of France each time the Jews thrown out that's a cancel everybody's happy that's it then he invites the Jews to come back the Jews come back because where are they going to go so they come back and the same cycle happens again and again that is part and parcel of medieval Jewish history now let's look at page 6 I numbered my pages just count from the beginning because it's so smart just one, two, three, four, five six point two just six what point is it? I'm in point two okay so count six pages and go beyond point two I finished first opening point two so I'm, I'm two pages uh, one page after point two it's called page six right? Okay. now again actually Mark Twain makes a big deal about Joseph in Egypt I agree with Kenny of last no, week right? right? No, but I don't think that's the major or critical issue over here about Joseph and Egypt 
Right? You're at the corner of the market. That's not the major issue of you. Mark Twain wants to assert, and here I think he's sort of oversimplifying the phenomenon of anti-Semitism. What I'm trying to offer and say to you is that there are multiple reasons why the outside world hates Jews. One is, of course, economic anti-Semitism. That's without question. And that is represented by the Joseph Egypt story. That's called economic anti-Semitism. Good. But there's also what we'll call theological anti-Semitism or religious anti-Semitism, which is Christianity. They hate the Jews because of the crime of theocide. We killed their God. You'd also hate somebody that kills your God. It's a very horrifying accusation. God is what everything you represent as good and wonderful, and you killed him. How can I not hate you? Theological anti-Semitism was a very powerful motivating factor in certainly medieval Europe. Islam as well has their own take on theological anti-Semitism, although it's a much more complicated phenomenon, because Muhammad himself didn't hate the Jews, or at least in his pre-Meccan period, as opposed to the time when he went to Medina yesterday and he was rejected by the Jews, then he began to hate the Jews as well. So you have different kinds of statements in the Quran itself. Some praising the Jews. The statement that the Jews are the people of the book is Muhammad's statement from the Quran. And his pre in his pre Meccan statement, in that early years. So but there is a certain theological anti Semitism in Islam as well. But besides that, you also have what we may call racial anti Semitism, which means simply the fact that you're Jewish means I hate you. That's racist. It's your blood. So that is and was prevalent, as well as what we'll call, quote unquote, the chosen people form of anti-Semitism, which means because you assert that you are chosen, therefore I hate you. Which is understandable. Why? Because you're saying you're superior to me. I saw this very graphically portrayed in a movie that I mentioned last week. It's called A Life Apart, Hasidism in America. It's a very, very interesting portrayal. It's an hour and a half movie, documentary about Hasidim in America. And there you have a black guy saying, who do they think they are? The Hasid goes to the black guy and says to him, I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> and he walks away. So the black guy says, this is a very educated, articulate black guy. He says, who's he to pray for me? Is he saying that God can't pray for me? God can't hear my prayers? Now that's a very accurate portrayal of Hasidim in America. They do have that holier than thou, chosen, they're the chosen of the Jews who are chosen. <laughs> they can. We all know that it's Syrians, but... <laughs> Sorry, Syrians who are married to Ashkenazim. <laughs> Sorry, Syrians who are married to Ashkenazim who come from Hasidic dynasty. Eliminia, <laughs> <laughs> good. Right, very good. Let's feel, even better. So... That chosen people concept certainly is going to generate a large degree of anti-Semitism. It cannot do but otherwise. You think you're superior, then the reaction has to be some kind of anti-Semitism. So you have economic anti-Semitism, you have religious anti-Semitism, you have this notion of chosen people anti-Semitism, racial anti-Semitism, and what might be sort of a concept that grows out of a chosen people concept is the notion of Jews as separatists. Because we're always separate, people are going to look at you from a distance from afar. We choose to be separate. We don't want to assimilate. And assimilation is actually a modern concept. It's only in America Jews who are able to 
and it chose to assimilate. Know that in America, 40% of American Jews, that's 2.5 million Jews in America, it's actually more, that's only 6 million, now there's only 5.2 million Jews in America. From 1990, there were 5.9 million Jews in America, and in recent 2000, uh, see, uh, the poll, see, the poll, it was 5.2. Where did they go? Assimilated. And this is Intermarried and assimilated. So you have a net loss of about 600,000 Jews. Yes. In 10 years, you have a net loss of 600, approximately 600,000 Jews in America. So we can't replenish as much as 40% of that number, 40% of that number is viewed as having no identification whatsoever as Jews. Which means they're not part of a synagogue, not reformed, not reconstruction, not part of a synagogue, don't identify themselves as Jews whatsoever. That's more than two and a half million Jews who are assimilating. So America allows it. I don't know if you want to say encourages it, one second, but America allows it, and we are interested in it, and it's actually because we don't have to. Heinrich Heine, to be accepted into German society, sorry? Had to be converted. And he has this most beautiful poetry of his mother lighting Shabbat candles. And one of the most fascinating stories I've ever read is um, the story of Rosenzweig, who was this, one of the, again, most brilliant minds of the 20th century, Jewish philosopher, the work called The Star of Redemption. Brilliant, brilliant book, which is impossible to read, but it's a brilliant book anyway. And in this, and he tells you the story that in 1909, he was approached by his cousin, who had converted to Christianity, and said, you have to convert, because that's the intellectually appropriate thing to do. You have to convert to Christianity, because that's the true religion. We know Judaism is a fossil religion, there's nothing, you must come to Christianity. Christianity, this is based on the Hegelian view of history, is really the higher level of religion, you must convert. He thought about it, thought about it, thought about it, and says, I have to do it. But I want to convert to Christianity as Jesus did. What did Jesus do? He was first fully a Jew, then he became Christian. Obviously, Jesus was Jewish, then he became Christian. How do I become fully a Jew? I take the holiest day of the Jewish year, Yom Kippur I'm going to go pray for the entire day then I'll be ready to be baptized and become a Christian so he happens to be walking the streets of Berlin and he finds a little shtibel little prayer house he stays with them for the entire 24 period and, and he describes in their toilet head over praying crying fervently intensely all that is in this little small room for the entire period of time he finishes the Yom experience he writes back to his cousin I no longer see a need to convert I found authenticity as a Jew. It's a brilliant, beautiful, masterpiece of the work. But he also contemplated conversion because that's what people, Jews, did because it was the right thing to do or the socially, politically correct thing to do. Nowadays, neither. Nowadays, we're assimilating. Now, remember, we're assimilating or converting, in quotes, to American culture. So we're doing all that. So now, because we always were separate, prior to this modern phenomenon, because we were all separate, prior to this modern phenomenon, therefore we were hated. Apignon is his work, does in fact attack the Jews for being separatists, refusing to assimilate and becoming one with the culture in which they were living. So that is another form of anti-separatism. David, sorry. Now, I don't want to go up to <laughs> Why? <laughs> what did you hear tonight? What did you see him, Grace? You'll see me on Friday, I know. Just you wait till you, I'm going to share, right? That's the word of that, right? 
Okay, so here we have four slash five different types of medicine. So here Mark Twain is of course a little bit simplistic in his approach and the entire reason why people hate Jews is for economic reasons. Look at page six again, which is page three after point two. What's the origin of stealing? He talks about the Yankee. His analogy. The shrewdness, his insight, his judgment, his knowledge, his enterprise, and formal cleverness in applying these forces were frankly confessed and most competently cursed. So people, he's trying to say, are going to hate that person who is shrewder than they are, who is more cunning than they are, and that's the Jews. He gave the next example, turn the page, of the blacks in the south, in the context, at the end of that paragraph, or page, top of page 7, for long the whites detested the Jew of the south, is that the Negro loved him? Economic exploitation or jealousy? Good. Then he spoke about the Jews legislated out of Russia. What's the reason? The last line of that paragraph. When Settlement Day came, he, the Jew, owned the crop, and next year or year after, he owned the farm, like Joseph. So again, it's economic anti-Semitism that Twain feels is the force behind anti-Semitism. Next paragraph, England, same thing. To wipe out, look at the last line, to wipe out his account the nation, so visit to its natural and incompetent channels, he actually banished the realm. Again, the Jew is exiled. Why is the Jew exiled? Because he owes all this money. That's the way you get rid of the debt. Simple. Now, Spain as well. In Spain, he sees it mainly as an issue of economics. Of course, it's not correct. Mark Twain is not a scholar of history. He's not even a good social scientist. He didn't even finish high school. But for what he says, insight into human behavior, certainly the way he portrays Huck and Jim in Huck and Barry Finn, is brilliant. He's an insight into how the black man feels and how the white person relates to the black man. That's brilliant. But again, I think he's wrong because here we know it's very clear that in Spain it was Isabella's confessor, Torquemada, who wanted the Jews out of Spain. Right. King Ferdinand says, Jews, we need the Jews. Well, you're crazy, we need the Jews. Jews are financing all that we're here. In fact, some of you may be aware that it was the Jew, Don Senor, who was a friend of Barbanel, who in fact bought the tiara that King Ferdinand gave Isabella on their marriage day. Do you know that? No. you know that? No. True? <laughs> so if you want a tiara, talk to... <laughs> Somebody from that period of time. They buy very nice uh, crowns. <laughs> it must be done already now. Do it. Okay, good. So we see all of this that the um, in, in Spain he's a little bit off. There was a theological hatred. Tukumana's argument was Granada. We just conquered Granada from the Muslims and we now have the Reconquista complete get rid of the Jews, and of course, she was a firm, very religious woman, and therefore she decided to agree with that statement. Good. Now let's look at page 8, paragraph 3. Right? I feel, feel convinced the crucifixion had not much to do with the world's effort to the Jew. That's not true. Crucifixion had to is a very powerful force. Uh, the reasons were older. That is true. Uh, the event, as suggested by Egypt's version by Roman Jews, the second, but the Jew, merely a Jew, merely a Jew, a skinned eel who was used to it, presumably. <laughs> I am persuaded that in Russia, Australia, and Germany, nine tenths of the Jews come to the average Christian inability to consider the average Jew in business. 
That's probably to some degree true on a social level. Either straight physical or questionable social. In Berlin, this is where I read a speech. Vanguard is a close to the Jews from Germany. Why? 85% of successful lawyers of Berlin were Jews. Jews. That could be true. And that about the same thing of the great and lucrative business of social Germany went into the Jewish race. Okay, so when you're that successful, there is jealousy, there is going to be antagonism and hatred. Isn't it an amazing question? It was but another way of saying that in a population of 48 million, who was very understand registered as Jews, 85% of the brains and honesty of the whole was lodged in the Jews. Therefore, Germany hated the Jews, and therefore they were, there was an attempt to expel them. It's not exactly true. The notion of racism, or race as a value, was in fact begun in the 1880s by a German social thinker. And he's the one that popularized the notion of a racial kind of anti-Semitism. He was a racially inferior to the Aryan superior type. 1870s, 1880s. So this is not exactly accurate, but again, there's something to be said over here for this as well. Good. So here we see on this page that he has an interesting point, but it's not exactly as accurate. Now let's look at paragraph, the last book on the page. On honesty, is not an of business. Of course, it does not rule out rascals entirely, even among Christians. Who, nevertheless, the speaker has been exact, but the motive of the people says it clearly. The man claimed that in Berlin, the banks, the newspapers, refused the great amount of shipping, mining, and interest, and a big army and city contract and tramways were all in the hands of the Jews. So again, he tries to prove his point. Look, let's see, page 9, that paragraph 1 is his point. He said the Jew was pushing the Christian to the wall all along the line. There was all a Christian could do to scrape together a living that the Jew must be banished and soon there's another way of saving the Christian. So again, that's his point. Skip the next paragraph. And therefore, paragraph 3 is the critical point. It's the economy stupid. Who said that? Who said that? Clinton. Clinton said it. 93, Clinton said it. It's the economy stupid. Don't you remember? Am I wrong? Clinton said it. Bush. Read my lips. That's Bush. If the economy stupid was Clinton's famous line to us, there wasn't the war, it was the economy. That's what he's saying over here. With most people of necessity, bread and meat take first rank. Is he right about that? You would say yes. Religion is second. To some degree. I convinced the persecution of the Jew is not doing any drudgery to religious prejudice. I think he's right about that. No, the Jew is a money getter. And in getting his money is very serious obstruction to less capable neighbors who are on the same quest. I think that's the problem. So he reduces, oversimplifies anti-Semitism to simply an econ- economic issue, economic motive. We think he's wrong about that. Anti-Semitism is a much more complicated phenomenon, which he's not getting. Now, the, the um, next two paragraphs are just great. And I want you to react to this. Tell me if it's true. This thing will that the Jews not shallow but deep. With question wisdom he found, question wisdom he found in the morning of time when some men worship rank, some heroes, some worship power, some worship God, and over these ideas they dispute and cannot unite, but that they all worship money. Money. Is that true? Do we care about money? Mm-hmm. We do. Mm-hmm. We do. Yeah. We do. Okay, so we agree. So he made it the end and aim of his life to get it. Rabbis don't. 
<laughs> I don't know why she to that. He was, no, we do too. He was oh, added in Egypt, 3,000 years ago, he was in Rome. Christian got persecuted, he was avid, it says, the course has been heavy, so it doesn't make the whole human race is enemy. But it has paid, but it's brought him envy, and the only thing that was remembered was almost sold by it again. He long observed that most that a millionaire commands respect, a two millionaire homage. All the millionaire thieves towards uh, affection. Homeless love Bill Gates. And it's really out of the ballpark. We all that feeling. We have seen it because we have noticed that when the average man mentions the name of a multi-millionaire over here, he does it with a mixture of his voice of his awe and reverence. Is that true? Yes. It's true. Voice of uh, awe and reverence and lust, which burns in a freshman's eye when it falls on another man's. Thank you. Okay, good. So. That seems to be correct. The it's Jews succeeded admirably well in this area. But aren't they motivated by the prosecution? Jews? Jews. Motivated? By the, pros- by the persecution of the world that always don't want to kill us, so we got to make the money, protect ourselves. Are they still the country? Point. I think certainly in the Middle Ages that was definitely true. Mm. Money answered all of our issues. Yeah, you pay off, we paid off the people. The guy come Absolutely correct. So, Absolutely correct. And on, on a political level, <clears throat> yes, but nowadays, I just think that money is such a valuable commodity to have. But I, I think it's wrong because we wouldn't have What's gotten wrong? the mirage. The necessity of money is still valid today. In 67, it was that we wouldn't have gotten the mirage if we went to the French and bought them. Right. So we right. Didn't, if we didn't have the money, I believe the, the money, we wouldn't, the, the state of Israel basically would have folded in 67 if we didn't have money. The, the money to buy Agreed. the planes and the guns that we needed to Agreed. survive. So money has been a necessity throughout our history it's and true. it's going to continue. So yet, we are maybe driven by money because we want nice things, but in, yet... To survive as Jews, well, we need true. money. I agree. Money I think is that's true. Power. Sorry? Money is power. <laughs> what does Francis Bacon say? Who? Money is power. No. <laughs> what? You're culture. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. Yeah, we have knowledge, you have to make more money. That's what I believe in. That hasn't worked so far, but, but it's you good. buy information. Right, exactly. What? Goes back to Kohelet, where he writes the Vikessetian. Right, money does answer all issues. Correct. Good. Yes, yeah, sorry. Necessity to excel. In terms of uh, eventually power in all issues or in all areas, survival. Mm-hmm. So if you excel in, in no matter what you're doing. To make money, though, we chose us because we make money. What about knowledge? You know, how many Nobel Peace Prizes are? How many Nobel Prizes do you? 12%. Sure, of course. Yeah, because yeah, so yeah, you excel. It's, it's, uh, yeah, you, you. I think you're right. The problem. I'm sorry. Nobel Peace? No. They make, but they're not, they're not doing it for the money. Someone just added mouth, but yes. A million dollars. You're going to do it, though. Not necessarily, no. Necessarily. No, but I think you're right. It's really, it's really, yeah, it's really you want to, I think brains play, pay, plays more of a role than the financial factor. Because Jews, you know, right. They're interrelated, because you got to study to have the brains to make the money, so... That's true. Uh, Jewish doctors they got to because they want to make money. They, make money. they developed their brains because they weren't allowed to do other things. Right, right, right. 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 Sorry? Well, One at a time. Right. Yeah, and the Ashkenazic world was a little bit different. Where, again, they, they were one direction ahead of us, where they wanted to go to school and all that, but it was to survive. It was to make the money to survive. No, so, but my point is that not only higher education, of course, that's the better choice, but that's not, you can't, why right. No, no sure. Oh, absolutely, yeah. David? Um, 
I downloaded this from the web. I don't know who this guy is, Bob Michael. But he makes a good point here. He feels that the problem with this piece is that Twain is using the same stereotypes that anti-Semites use to defend Absolutely. the Jews. So Correct. He says, uh, quote, the Jews are the only race who were cold. This is Twain said this. The Jews are the only race who work wholly with their brains and never with their hands. They are purely and conspicuously the world's intellectual aristocracy. So we would read that. It's not really true, though. Uh, okay, because Jews were part of the crafts. And so he said, in other words, he still. This is uh, Bob Michael now. In other words, he still stereotyped Jews, ignoring the realities of impoverished Jews and exploited Jewish labor in American cities. Sure. Yeah. We push cards. We did everything. But you keep saying, everybody here is agreeing, yeah, we were after money, yeah, we were after... They were after money too. But these, there was a lot of impoverished Jews and there were a lot of Jews that were chained in sweats. Uh, you know. Absolutely true. Were they but the percentage is not... Uh, no, they were not loved either. Because they were failures. Yeah. <laughs> That's the greatness of anti-Semitism. You can't win. That's exactly the point of anti-Semitism. You're blamed for losing, you're blamed for winning. You can't win. That's true. That is the the anti-Semite is does blame the Jew for winning and for losing. No. Sartre's famous work on anti-Semite and Jew, which is one of the greatest psychological portraits of anti-Semite, it is, it makes that exact point. Sartre's wonderful on anti-Semite and Jew is called. It's a psychological portrait of what the anti-Semite is really about, and that's the point that he makes over there as well. I'm sorry, Harley. So then it becomes racism. Yeah, absolutely, exactly. It comes down to that as well. That's why I think David's right over here that there is an oversimplification, a historical generalization that he makes that is not exactly accurate. Correct. Let's go on. Point number four. Now, is it true that Jews have no part of their non-participants? They don't really organize. Look at the next page, page 10. Right? The Jew was, does not actively try to help himself. That's not true. Right? The Jews, Mark Twain says, are not political. Now, the question over here, was it true throughout history? That's the Twain effect. Was it not political? So the answer is not really true to start because the Jew was involved in the highest level of the government. Begin with Estan if you choose to. Estan was involved in the government in order to have a role in political decisions. And so through the Middle Ages as well. The Jew was involved with the government to whatever degree he was allowed to. So he was involved. The main, the main time the Jew played a low-key role in any country they work because they wanted to... Correct. That's also true. Absolutely correct. Yes. They tried to do it very quietly. Today, are we politically involved? In America, we are. Amazingly so. Yeah. We've learned the power of the of organization. The Hasidic community in Williamsburg has way beyond its proportion of, of power because its numbers vote in block. So we've learned that. That is his point. You should organize politically to amass this kind of political power. So they've learned that lesson. And now, of course, we have... Mo- Sorry? Sadly, those same Hasidim have learned how to abuse power. Absolutely. Correct. No doubt you're right. Correct. So his complaint over here is not really, I think, accurate historically as we go along. He then points to the Irish, which, of course, we're not that concerned about. As intelligence force directly has always been, been a way down. He has governed the country just the same because he was organized. Now, there is, it is true to a great degree that once we organized, we became much more powerful. One could raise the question, would World War II have been any different if we were more organized? Were we not organized? Those are questions that historians are still discussing nowadays. Could we, why did we get 
Could we and why didn't we get Roosevelt to bomb the tracks? That's a major question. It's a major question. Why didn't he bomb the tracks? Wouldn't it have helped? Some say it could have saved 200,000 lives. So that's a major question. And was Stephen Wise wrong in, who had access to the president? Stephen Wise was a reformed rabbi. He had access to the president but didn't want to rock the boat. What was he afraid of? Anti-Semitism. <clears throat> was that a miscalculation? We weren't there. We can't really judge. Historians really have to try to analyze all factors and come to a conclusion whether he was wrong or right. Well, we, hear that, we hear that kind of argument all the time. Which? The... Joe Liebman. A lot of people are against Joe Liebman running for president because, you know, if there's a Jew, and, you know, too much, too many eyes will be shining on True, yeah. That point has to be analyzed. And is it true? Should, should we be concerned about it? Maybe, but we still have to jump in and, and, and do the job if we can get it. So you said you're the body of Joe Lieberman. Huh? You're the body of Joe Lieberman. I'm going to call Joe on the issues. I haven't really thought about it yet. He's not... Thought? Next week? Let me know. You <laughs> <laughs> better not. No pitching next week. That's, a, that's a, a, a very serious, important question. There are those who say that we should... My father voiced that to me the other day. He's right. I, he might be right. It's a serious question. Many, many Jews are saying that. And others are saying exactly the opposite. It's a very tough question. Would Joe Lieberman have acted against Iraq the same way that George Bush is, given the Israel factor over here? So the answer is don't vote for him then. It's a very serious question. Lastly, page 10, bottom. He gave us the numbers. The numbers. America, just, I mentioned something years ago. Half a million Jews in Germany. Six million Jews in Russia, five million Jews in Austria, quarter million Jews in the United States, all that. And then he says, half million Jews with nine percent of page eleven, page next page of the empire of the empire population. The Irish would govern the kingdom of heaven if they had a strength like that. So we have an numerical strength. We should be able to organize. And of course, you're saying that because we don't, we are blamed for our political vulnerability. So all of that we had. Look at the next page, page twelve. Okay. Now, he says over here in this um, first paragraph, there may be other and better ways of explaining why only that poor little 20,000 Jews got to the encyclopedia. I may be mistaken, but I have shown you the opinion that we have an immense Jewish population in America. Immense. It's amazing. That is the anti-Semite stereotype. <laughs> that we have an immense population, when it's, if it was 20,000 out of 70 million. That's our percentages. Now we have six, five, figure out that just 5.2 million out of 280 million. So those are the calculator. Figure out. 2%. 2%. Now or then? Now. Yeah. 5.2 million out of 280 million is? A little less than 1%. percent. Okay, then, then what was it? 200,000 out of 70 million? 1%. Out of 1%. So we are more now. So now we're really immense. We're really in trouble. That's what he says. Good. So now comes, next comes a very serious question on page 12.3. Can we change the situation? So I'm going to raise that question to you. How can we change, how can we change the perception of what people think of us as Jews? Just what should we do? Back. Sorry? Give people their money back. Okay, good. <laughs> should we be doing that? Give your money back. 
was there. <laughs> just he's saying that they don't like the Jews because we're hoarding all the money, so give money back. So imagine, would that change? In other words, let's say we did great works of charity. Would you vote on this? So let's say, this is a real question. Interesting. I went to Mama's hospital the other day and looked on the board of donors. How many Jews do you think are on the board of donors? <laughs> Sorry? No. Monmouth County. There were four. Four or five. I mean, you can't tell every single name, of course. Harry Franco's name was there. He's the mayor of Deal. He had to be there. <laughs> Very smart. But think of him and Ashkenazi, I think. South Ashkenazi, I think, was there. was there. There was a few that I recognized. I could recognize all of them. The Greasons I know, but not all of them could I recognize. But a very, very small percentage. We don't give to hospitals. We don't give to this kind of research. We use our brain. Okay, good. Good point, legitimate. So now, is that good? Are those good works? I think you're right about that. The Jersey people. Yes, right. Are those are those good works? We build hospitals. We call Maimonides. We call it Mount Sinai. Beth Israel. Beth Israel. Is that changing the percentage? Grace. We call it Grace. What? Oh. Good point. That's generally the way that Jews, maybe it's only Syrian Jews. I really made my point in terms of Syrian Jews as opposed to Ashkenazic Jews. And I think that's probably... True. I mean, the tissues of the world who is Jewish gives to everything, you know, non-Jewish. Syrians generally are more narrowly focused because of yeshivot and kolalim and stuff like that. But it's the amount of time that they've been independent versus the Ashkenazim, they've been independent financially much longer, so they have okay, a broader be. view versus a less... More what? Yeah, could be. Yeah, they do. It's just they've been doing it. The money is older. So that's, that's true. I think that's true. We don't know how it's going to be. But as Syrians, I think we generally focus internally rather than externally. Ashkenazim at this point have already learned their lesson right. to focus externally. And again, the question has to be raised, is it effective? Is it making the general population more receptive to the Jews because of their great group? Does a person make the association in his mind. Mountain Hospital was built by Jews, let's say. And I spent a lot of time recently unfortunately in Beth Israel Hospital. And every floor I went to, I went to a lot of floors there, I saw who gave what money, right? And it's all Jews, you're right. The Steinbergs and all, the, all that's Jews, good. But does a person make that association or not? So is the notion of giving them back <coughs> charity and giving building hospitals, is that going to work? Let's say, for example, the issue of um, vouchers for schools. That's a major issue. What does it mean? It means that because we're not going to public schools, we send them to the board, then we should get vouchers. Now, What's the average non-Jewish person going to say about the vouchers? Is that going to raise anti-Semitism or lower it? David? Yeah, they raise because they have their they have Okay, now. The average. Right. You're all talking at the same time. Don't yell at David altogether. Gina yells first. Parochial schools, Catholic parochial schools are supported by the church. The guy yeah, right. in my office. That's true. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah, but so what? Yeah, but but, 3, 000, they don't need the voucher. No, they do need 
average. That's what I'm talking about. The average saying they can't publish. Right. Right. So they're going to see it anti-Semitically. They're saying, look, those rich Jews, they want a freebie. Right. You're saying that the average person, one at a time. You're saying, David, you're saying the average Christian person who sent his kids to public school, to PS 226, that all of us went to, right? No. I understand that. Many, you think, wait, you think most of the 216 somewhat million Christians, how many in public schools, how many in parochial schools, or private? I would imagine, I would imagine most are in public schools. I would imagine. The public schools are teeming. One at a time, one at a time. I'm sure that that's true. So, yeah, what, what happens if they get the credit toward the school? And they'd be more willing to spend a, a little bit extra and put them in a private school. Who, the non Jewish person? The one that spends that. Okay, that could be. Maybe. So, that's a question that has to be analyzed as a social scientist. Whether or not we should support vouchers. From a purely financial point of view, yeah. we should. Obviously, we all want it. We all spend twenty thousand dollars a year on, on tuition. It's an okay. it's absurd number. It's crazy. Twenty six. My girls next year is twenty six thousand with only two kids in school. It's absurd. You got three. You got two. two. Flappers. Too bad. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a very different. It's amazing when you think about that. Columbia, thirty thousand miles. Yeah. Besides all that. Well spent money. Right. So besides all that, now. So I care about vouchers, but on the other hand, if we're analyzing from the perspective of trying to lower the anti-Semitism level in this country, we have to think about David's point and think about David's point. No. That sounds really weird on tape. <laughs> think about David's point. David's point and David's point. Is it, is we, it we work or is that We have to go away for anti-Semitism go away. We didn't get to that point yet. Wait one second, we didn't get to that point yet. Right now we're trying to change. We're using jackets to give them money, build hospitals, let them know that we're charitable, good-hearted, giving people. Is that going to work? Joy? It hasn't worked. All the so we need to give charity, giving charity yourself, basically. So that proves that that's exactly what Mark Twain said. They give charity to themselves. You're not going to be able to give the black man suffrage. We don't mention that. Because that's not something... Good. Wait, don't go out. Don't go out. One second. One interesting point. We... Now come to David. We tried very hard to help the black man. That's a good point. Did it work? No. Did it work? In other words, we marched on some Saul Berman, Robert Berman, marched on Selma, Alabama right. with Avram Heschel and did all that. Jews were actively involved in civil rights. Mm-hmm. In 64, this is a shock to me. And then if you're against, uh, like, Israel, you're an anti-Semitic. He's a flat out. Right, so it helped with him. But on the average black guy in Harlem, does he like the Jews? No. No, not now. Even then. Even then. Even then. They all identified with the Jew because they were both only then, only, limi- only limitedly. Yeah. I would think that with all, and I think we should have been involved in human rights and the progress of civil rights and all that. But on the other hand, I don't know if that lowered 
the anti-Semitism in the black community. If you ask Jesse Jackson or you ask these people, it wouldn't be the case. David was first, then we get to Kenny. David. As far as the hospitals go, the Federation, for example, the Federation, which is part of Jaina, spends billions and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars building all these houses, but they were not just for the Jewish people, they opened the houses to everybody. Of course, yeah. From the get-go, they were open to the public. No, that's true. We, no, we agree, but did it help? We're using it. We're all the time. No, I'm going to no hospitals built that Jews did not. So, so should we do that? So that's an idea. Maybe we should, if we're interested in lowering anti-Semitism from this country, if there's still a problem in this country, then what should we do? We should go out to some place in uh, Alabama or Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, I'm sorry? Doesn't UJA give money to people that have nothing to do with Jews? Yeah, sure. Sure. Is it working? Is it working? Do we support that? When the UJA person says to you, we're giving money to non-Jews, do you support that? Wait, wait, Kenny was first. Wait, Kenny was first. Just historically, with respect, <laughs> historically, we had a relationship with the blacks in the 60s. We had a good relationship with the blacks. In the 50s and 60s, we, 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 the lawyer who had the, headed the um, NAACP was in Greenberg. Right. Mm-hmm. Things changed once the civil rights movement came into oh, yeah. fruition. And, 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 and they began to resent freedom. Well, the blacks began to the Jews they began to present the fact that we were leading the civil rights movement and wanted right. to take over the movement for themselves. So therefore... Well, it's, it, it's a historical context. You can't say that, you know... Did it work right now, today? So now we've done it for 30 years. Did it work, did it work or not work? And I'm only questioning, does social activism lead to a lessening of anti-Semitism? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. One of the interesting statements that Kenny brings to mind is this famous notion when the... Blackman was a janitor, the Jew was a teacher. When the Blackman became the teacher, the Jew was the principal. When the Blackman became the principal, the Jew was on the board of education. And then they threw us out. Because he always sort of drew ahead of himself. So that's sort of like, the Blackman always felt economically and otherwise exploited from that. So I think your point's well taken that at, at some point, on the higher levels of the black movement, there was a great feeling between Jews and, and I think the blacks. But on the other hand, when you read, you know, Elder School of Soul on Ice, which you read 30 or 40 years ago, he didn't love Jews. And he was a part of that intelligentsia of the black movement. So I'm not sure to what degree that it does a social conscience. I'm not saying no. I'm not saying no. I'm saying we should think about all of these variables, whether giving money, building hospitals, social activism, is that going to help us? All bottom lines, nothing will. That's the question I'm raising. Yeah. I just want to ask, are we to assume that throughout history, Jews never contributed to their society, Not to, to the that. cultures, to their... No, no, no. They're, sure. They're I'm sure they, they, they contributed plenty. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So why didn't that change anything? Well, maybe oh, maybe it's not enough. Well, is now that we have to do something new? I think we did... That's my question. Agreed. In Egypt. Was anti semitism in Egypt? Anywhere. You grew up in Egypt. We always contributed... In Egypt. Was anti semitism Yes. Why? For all the reasons that... Did, did Jews do anything illegal? Jews, that's why. They did everything. They did, and it didn't help. So nothing helps. So that might be a conclusion that we could come to. If you were the brain trust of the Jewish people, you may analyze this question historically, accurately, contextually, in every which way, and come to a conclusion. And your conclusion may be nothing helps. 
Yeah. Because there's, there's a certain social theory that you don't even need Jews. <laughs> <laughs> Without Jews. Without Jews. Right. <laughs> the Polish government in the late 1980s yeah. was anti-Semitic. There were a thousand Jews in yeah. all of Poland. Right. You know? It's true. And they passed laws against the Jews. And that's what it, right? So you didn't need Jews. Scapegoats. You need scapegoats. Yes. Right. That's the focus. Okay. So that could be. But we separated ourselves from the eighth day we were born. I know, we're separate. Exactly. So then, that might cause us a skepticism, and therefore it's not going to help. We're not going to give up ourselves. Well, we do is not going to help. Because that's, you may want to make that conclusion. Yeah. But look at how we deal with other society, whether it's black, how do we look at them as a whole? If you meet someone as an individual, you have a more personal connection. But when we look at them as a society, when we hire us, you give them the higher positions in your business. No. But, but that also reflects well, what we do with them, is how they deal with us also. I, I beg to differ. Okay, maybe. I want to say maybe that's the case. Maybe that's why. But that's, again, a form of uh, economic issues. No, it's not, not even economic. Right, like we don't, you're not necessarily your closest friends you go out. Like when they meet we, don't come, we don't want it to be our closest friends. But that's, that's, at this point, we're, we're going to remain separate. Yeah, so therefore that's going to cause... There's a difference between being separate and being racist. Right, I don't think that we judge, we judge people because they're black, they're not going to be as smart, because I've seen, I've seen very, very smart people in the middle that, that they're black. When you hire and you do stuff, there is a separation between the two, yeah. and it does reflect. Okay. Whether it's good or it's bad, if you're a good Jew, you'll that, judge but, what, but the bottom line is what that person is worth. Agree. No, no, we agree. So, if we have to think about this, you know, and, you know, just come to a conclusion, I'm sorry. I was just yeah, yeah. What was the between you know, being racist and being separate? I'm sorry. I, I think that there's, I feel in this community also, I think people are very racist. I don't... Agreed. So the question... Yeah. Is, uh, we are, we are. We're all late. It's very late. I gotta get home. Right. Yeah. Definitely racist. No, I, I think that might be the case. But I don't know, again, assuming we weren't racist, if we were only separatists, would that generate exemptism to the point where we can't control, we can't do anything about it? So it may. So if that's the answer, then don't do anything about it. Because everybody's separate. If you go to Italian areas, Italians are connected. If you go, if you walk around the cafeteria in college, the blacks sit together, the Italians sit together, the Spanish sit together. Everybody's so separate. So are they separate. racist? No, I think there's a difference. There's a difference. Right. But I think Jews are. Okay, so no, so if we are, no, if we, again, so racism we shouldn't have. That's of course. But if we're separate, racism is a separate issue. I'm sorry. Racism is different. Correct. I agree. You can't mix the two. Of course, every group, Italian, Chinese, whoever it is, of course, amongst them there are people who are racist. But I think this is totally separate. Okay, good. So we we want to try to analyze it as a separate issue. Uh, one second. So the question is, how can we change if we can? The group over here seems to believe that we cannot change, nothing to do. Our charity, our good works is not going to help us. Should Jews live apart? Doesn't living apart, being separate, generate anti-Semitism? The answer is yes. In that documentary again, the a people apart, the Hasidim in America, that's going to cause anti-Semitism. If we had a Jewish brigade in World War II, the people appreciate that. Was that a great statement which helped us to limit anti-Semitism? Should we volunteer for military service? Is that going to help? Or do we want to come to the conclusion that nothing is going to help us and simply we are who we are? We don't want to assimilate. He says assimilate. If you assimilate, you won't have anti-Semitism. Although, case one is that, yes, yeah, if you assimilate, there's no Jews, still have anti-Semitism. Yeah, there's nothing left. Right, so what, what do we, how do you solve this problem? Mark Twain feels, actually, whatever you do, it's not going to really help at the end. David? Uh, 
the issue about separatism versus racism. I think the key, the, the one, one more word, I'm going to add one more cliche to it, is exclusion. Right. Whenever you have an exclusive system, right. you're going to have criticism. Of course. You and worse. The blacks sitting, black sitting in the cafeteria, and the Italians sitting together in the cafeteria, and the Jews sitting together in the cafeteria, is about exclusion. And, and when you exclude one group from another, there's a problem. And I think one of the dilemmas that Judaism has is that. And we, right. we can answer how to be both uh, exclusive and let me raise a question are the blacks criticized for being exclusive and are the Italians criticized or only the Jews criticized when they're exclusive what's your perception what? only the Jews only the Jews what were you in college with <laughs> wait, 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 wait. You want, could you answer that? Do you feel that's a fair question? I didn't feel like it was exclusive at all. I didn't feel like I couldn't sit in the black section of the cafeteria. I sat with Italians. I didn't feel like they didn't. Well, it sounds like I could see, but if you... Well, <laughs> I mean, we're all the same that I understand. No, that I understand, but if you were to walk into the black section, what would be viewed? Was that, you're one of the... Game? It's not like you've never no, saw like this. I don't think it was so separate. <laughs> black white issue, right. So again, is, is, exclu- is exclusion when the blacks do it, is that viewed negatively? Or like the Jews, let's say, let's say Brooklyn College where we went, for example, like they dominate the cafeteria, like the kosher section. Like no one has a little house. Like they have a room. Like the Islamic society has a little room. It says no use sign on the door. Like we have a whole building. We do everything. You know what I mean? So it's different when you say a little group of Italians and you see like uh, like seven people of Jews. You know, and like, they have their own section. They do everything. It's like different than going to say, oh, I went to sit with them, where they're very noticeable. And I think that's the problem. Wherever they go, they make a mark, and that's it. So, that's the cause of the So, what can we do? But, yeah, sorry. The difference is also, though, the exclusion is much more inert in the religious community. Uh-huh, sure. The more reformed Jewish community or, uh, or community that's not religious, there's much more mixing and inter and neighbors, and so it, it's, when you're looking at the Jews as a whole, there's a very religious community, yeah. or the, the orthodox community of Jews, where it's much more separate, and if you look at Reform Jews, if you go into Manhattan, if you go into the suburbs, and they would no, no, I know, but I'm talking so about it. Right. You know. What happened? Yeah. Yeah, but it is true. The more Jewish, the more exclusion, the more anti-Semitism. There is a difference, you know, in Brooklyn College, and in that specific instance, you have such a large community of, of you know, religious Jews. I'm sure if you go to... Uh, I don't know, Hunter College, you know, they don't have a Hillel building. Or actually, maybe they do. They're not a temple. They do. They, do. they have more than the yeah, one. Yeah, I am. I am. One other thing, yeah. when you get into graduate school, so I went to graduate school, there was no difference between the black, the white, the Chinese. There was no delineation. Right. Good point. Yeah. Well, educated. It's very different because you say white puts a higher level of intelligence. That could be. Okay, so now that's the answer. So wait, so maybe that's the answer. If the, if the answer is education, do we see more antisemitism on the, on the upper stratosphere of intelli- intelligentsia? Do they, do they have more? Or on the lower level? If you tell me on the lower level, then the answer is education. And then maybe there's hope. I don't know whether that's true, but... Could be. Either lower is not affected.